Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Good morning. I always begin my lectures by saying, can you hear me? If you cannot hear me, please raise your hand. I learned this when I was a teaching assistant at the University of Minnesota. And about five or ten minutes into a lecture, I would see blank looks. And I would say, can you hear me? And they would go, do you care? <laughs> so, people who would choose me and never have learned anything at this university have now been to disprove it. <laughs> Look, after the superb presentations that we've heard this morning, and the detailed, encyclopedic, and uh, superb presentation of the ambassador. There's not much more for me to add. Uh, but let me say, that's never stopped me before. <laughs> so let me say a few things. I want to talk about the future, the immediate future and the longer range future. And I always think that when one starts prognosticating, looking ahead, a certain amount of humility is called for. And in my case, it's not difficult to find, especially in relation to Mexico. A short story, I won't burden you. Forty years ago, I had already been in the Foreign Service for eight or nine years, and I received one of these sabbaticals that allow Foreign Service officers to work on the Hill for a year. I worked for a senator whose name I will not mention because I did not respect him. Uh, and he had this idea. He called me into his office one day and he said, I want you to organize a hearing on the creation of a Canadian-U.S.-Mexico Free Trade Association. This was 1979. I didn't think that was a very good idea. I didn't see any future in that. But I was an intern. And I did what interns do. And those of you who've worked in our Congress or elsewhere know, you find three or four professors who have essentially nothing else to do. You invite them to Washington. They speak before an empty room. <laughs> a publication is produced. It's immediately forgotten. <laughs> And that's what I did in 1979. Well, flash forward of 25 years, and I'm appointed, fortunately, as ambassador 
United States ambassador to Mexico. And of course, as all ambassadors must, must do, with varying levels of veracity, if you read Ambassador Barcena's curriculum vitae, it's impressive and true. If you read mine, it's impressive and maybe not so true. <laughs> because in my CV, I put in that I, a new ambassador to Mexico, played a historic role in organizing the first congressional <laughs> hearings on the creation of NAFTA. <laughs> I didn't put in the rest <laughs> about how I thought it was a stupid idea and it would never go anywhere. Now, I only mention that because I want to talk very briefly about the future. And when one talks about the future, you have to be humble and one should be humble. I want to talk about the immediate future and the longer range. Let's talk about the rest of this year and what we are likely to be confronting. This is uh, in part conjecture on my part. As Ambassador Barcena has said, we are at an extraordinarily critical moment in terms of passage of the USMCA the U.S.-Mexico-Canadian Agreement. I like to call it NAFTA, too, but let's call it U.S.-MCA. Now, the history of this is particularly interesting and a bit convoluted. You will recall that uh, President Trump, when he was running for office, made the point that NAFTA was the worst trade agreement that had ever been organized by the United States. And he came into office threatening to withdraw. He did not withdraw. He did, however, withdraw from something else, which was the TPP, which is the Trans-Pacific Partnership, another broader trade agreement that had been negotiated in the last administration, and ironically, which dealt with a number of the problems that needed to be fixed in NAFTA. The negotiations were complete, but on the first day in office, President Trump said, the states were out of this. We were then left with the original NAFTA, which, by the way, was not in very bad shape. It was working okay. But with a political imperative that something had to be done. So for the last two and a half years, we've been negotiating a new NAFTA. It is marginally better than the old 
in one of the reasons it's marginally better is because the good stuff that had been put into the Trans-Pacific Partnership has now transferred to the new NAFTA. But that's an inconvenient truth and is not mentioned. <laughs> the issue is this. These negotiations have created a new dynamic. And the dynamic is this. The new NAFTA, USMCA, must be passed. Canada has passed it. Mexico has passed it. The US Congress must pass it. Why? The passage itself brings benefits. Not necessarily great benefits, but things will improve. Failure to pass will be perceived in all three countries and around the world as a tremendous failure. I don't know if I'm explaining myself, but in terms of so much else in government, we have sort of stumbled into a situation where we are obliged to act in order to not make things worse. Now, passage is complicated. The Republican Party, the Democratic Party, are divided amongst themselves, divided between each other. We're heading into an election year. God knows what else is happening in terms of impeachment or what happened. I think, if I have a message to you today, work with your congressmen, work with your senators, let's get this passed. Because if it doesn't, we're heading downhill. The other major issue that I think we will see jump back on the front page as the year comes to an end is migration. Now, it is true that the headlines that we saw in April, May, June, the large number of Central Americans, the large number of Central American families that were trying to enter the United States has been reduced. And that's, that's Trump calling him. <laughs> I, I have a rather pithy message. Pithy message. But I won't give it to him. <laughs> So the Mexican government responded, responded to pressure from the United States, keeping in mind, as the ambassador has said, the vast majority of these migrants are not Mexicans, they're Central Americans. The situation today is that the numbers that, have, that are coming to the border have gone down dramatically, perhaps as much by 50%. However, the agreement that the United States 
worked out with Mexico, and subsequently, maybe with Honduras and Salvador, for want of a better term, it's called wait in Mexico. If you want to apply for asylum in the United States, you can do that at the border, but you must go into Mexico and wait there. There's a certain logic to that, but it's not working. Check. Check with your representative, check with the newspaper. I live in San Diego, so we pay attention to this press with greater detail than elsewhere. As of last week, of the tens of thousands of people who had been told to wait in Mexico, a handful, and I'm not using that in a figurative sense, in a literal sense, a handful had been granted approval to get asylum in the United States. I think it may be too strong a word to call this agreement a farce, but it ain't working. And as we move towards the holidays, towards Thanksgiving, towards Christmas, when naturally our hearts become a little more open and a little softer, I am afraid we are going to see that this problem of the border has made no progress. And here again, it's up to all of us to be dealing with our representatives in calling out the truth. So those are two short-term things. Let me just say something about the long-term. Some of the very basic elements of the underlying ideology of NAFTA in the United States and in Mexico have been challenged by our new president, Trump, and Lopez Obrador. On the one hand, Lopez Obrador, at least rhetorically, and I think in his heart, has grave doubts about what he calls neoliberalism. Neoliberalism, for most of us, is something that we have seen and applauded because we see it as opening the world to trade, opening the world to new ideas, promoting international integration, and has had a profound effect in the world in reducing the amount of abject poverty. Now, each of these statements can be disputed. And if there's anyone here from the economics faculty, uh, do write out your thoughts and send them to me. <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, is that the very basis that has underlined, underlying the progressive transformation in Mexico that the ambassador so eloquently talked about in the last 25 years 
is being challenged, at least rhetorically, by the new president of Mexico. There's an element of pragmatism, and so maybe the rhetoric will be less frightening than it appears. In the United States, we have a president who quite openly, consistently talks about the evils of globalism. And he goes to the United Nations. And he talks about it and says, the way of the future is through nationalism. Well, been there, done that, thought about that. I don't think that's the way to go. It is my hope that we will get back toward a joint view of the future, which is based on internationalism, integration, openness, liberal thinking, liberal democracy, protection of human and civil rights. And I don't think we can kid ourselves. We are in a struggle in that regard. Now, I think, and this will be the final thing I say, if anyone looks carefully at the relationship of the three nations of North America, we have to be impressed by how fundamentally blessed we are. We all know as Americans that we have and still have a privileged geographic position in the world, surrounded by oceans, no enemies, and that allowed for our development. But take it one step further. As we look at North America, at Canada, the United States, and Mexico, and perhaps someday Central America, our position in the world is extraordinarily privileged. We have three countries that basically share liberal democratic views, that have relatively open borders, that have a high level of cultural interaction and understanding, and increasingly important, a high level of demographic mixing. We have lucked into it. And it is a mistake if we as citizens and as leaders allow ourselves not to focus on what is the name of the game for the future, which is North American integration. Now, I'm not talking about the end of the nation state, but I am talking about integration of trade, culture, health, transportation, education. When NAFTA was signed 25 years ago, it was supposed to be the first step it was going to be followed by committees that were going to talk, who were going to talk about educational integration so that a degree from the University of Guadalajara 
would be accepted at the University of Minnesota that medical criteria, medical certification from Tijuana would function in San Diego, so on and so on. We lost interest. That was a failure of vision. Now, right now it's a difficult time to talk about vision because we're almost having a difficult chore keeping our nose above water, given the political views of the room president, president of Mexico. But as we look ahead, this is the golden opportunity of our people. Of North American integration. We're going through a tough period right now. That's not going to last. And I wish you all luck in pursuing it. <laughs>